Turn with me, if you would, to uh, 1 Kings, the last chapter, where I'll begin reading at verse 39. This is 1 Kings 20, chapter 22, verse, uh, uh, verse 39 through 51. Beginning to read then with verse 39. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked within the, all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat that the, uh, the, the, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverse persons who remained in the days of his father Asha, he banished from the land. There was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezra and Gibar, or Gibar, then Ahaziah, the king of Ahab, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, "Let my servants go to, go with your servants in the ships." But Jehoshaphat would not uh, would not do that. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, made, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. May the Lord bless this, uh, this understanding or this text to our understanding as we come to it today and, and apply it to our lives. I'm going to have a rather large application of this to our lives today, large in terms of time, uh, just because it, uh, it came to me. And uh, the title of the sermon is A Crisis of Puritanism, Sin, and Baptists, which is a rather intriguing title, may seem provocative to some, but uh, it's, uh, it's there for a reason. Every once in a while, there is a, a, a coordination or a confluence of uh, issues that come about. And uh, one has come about today, especially, and it really only came to my mind last night. I've been ruminating about the sermon 
and it wasn't wasn't I wasn't very happy with it uh, all week long. And last night it's always unnerving when the night before you're preaching a message, uh, it, it, uh, you're not so happy with it. And then it, it came to me the the reason why I was unhappy with it, and that was because I could see a, a major application of the of the thought. Now the the thought of this text has to do with God covenant theology. It has to do with the idea that one lead, one idea leads to another, that our, all of our ideas are connected, that our theology is holistic in the sense that everything is connected to one another. So if you make a mistake at one point, it almost always shows up at other points. And uh, and it came to me that mm, uh, that uh, one of the modern problems that we have, namely a relationship with De- Baptists and Baptist theology, one of those problems had had insinuated itself upon us, and especially upon me, uh, as uh, as. Uh, as the father of a family, one of the families of the church, mainly because um, uh, one of my beloved granddaughters, uh, Kaya, is uh, dating a young Baptist young young Baptist guy, and he's a he's a lovely lovely guy. But that doesn't mean that uh, that uh, I want Kaya to become a Baptist, or I want her to be influenced by Baptist theology. So today. Uh, the, the reason why this is all just kind of turned, I found out yesterday that uh, Chris and Lisa and the family were going, Judge uh, 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 Nicholas, her boyfriend, is being baptized today at his church. And so uh, Chris and Lisa and Kaya wanted to show some affection for him and some uh, identification with him in attending his the baptism so that's why why they're not in the front row that's why grant is substituting he's our substitute it guy today for for christopher um but um and so that that really was what jarred my thinking last night because i was already i'm thinking about this pass this passage which really focuses on the end in first kings the end of two lines one is a covenant line of jehoshaphat of Judah, and the other is the covenant line of Ahab, this wicked king of the northern ten tribes. And we've we've studied some of these things, some of the consequences of Ahab's life. There were there were uh, almost a thousand prophets that were slayed by Ezekiel. I mean Elijah at Mount Carmel because of God's actions, because God came down with a furor, and consumed the altar of Israel. Just obliterated even the stones and the rocks, much less the sacrifices, to show that only his sacrifice was efficient and efficacious. And after that, Elijah, uh, at the divine command, um, massacred uh, all of these priests, 400 priests of um, of uh, uh, Baal and 400 priests of Asherah. So almost a thousand priests were wiped out. And this was by people that did not, that a moment before were almost more happy with Baal than they were with Jehovah. But the, the tremendous things were, the tremendous upheaval and things were, things were shaken up. And so, <clears throat> uh, 
I began to see the application of this to our own lives, and I thought, I, I would, I, I think, I, I, I did, I would, I wanted, I was going to say, I, I thought I would like to preach on this, but I really feel compelled to preach on it, and uh, in as much as it has to do with my family, my larger family, I think that's really good because. Um, couple other times in my life, something has come up with the families of the church. One time I had a, uh, a lovely young lady in the church, a favorite family of mine, uh, whose, uh, whose parent, whose father was one of the elders of the church. And um, she came with the joyous news that she wanted to marry a, a Roman Catholic, young, young Roman Catholic uh, kid. And uh, the, where the rubber met the road there, I knew that it was going to be in the, they wanted it in the church bulletin that there was going to be a, a shower. And uh, they wanted everybody in the church to be happy about this. And yet the Lord just came upon me in a powerful way that I could not be part and parcel with encouraging people to go to a, a shower that would ostensibly wish blessings upon this union when the union was between a, a gospel believer, she, the young woman had was part of our church. She had already made a profession of faith, and the young man had had uh, had not. And even if he had, it would be a profession based upon Rome's confusions. And so, because it was a church organized thing. Uh, I mean, it was supposed to be a church-organized thing. I thought, I've got to speak about this on Sunday and help the people to understand why I will refuse to make, go through with this marriage. And uh, so as not to aggrieve the parents and the family, I went over it the day before. I took a copy of the message, or the, the essential core of the message to them, and I said, I don't want to embarrass you in front of the people, but this is what I'm going to say tomorrow. And if you would rather stay home, meditate on this yourself, please do it. Because my point is not to embarrass anybody in the church. But it's to keep us clean before the Lord. That was a terribly hard thing to do. It was a, a sermon of some tears. And uh, happily it did not divide the church inordinately. There was some division. But then, uh, to this day, I'm very, very good friends. In fact, they're some of my closest friends in the world that, that were a part of this family. And I guess they, we've just kind of dealt with it over the years. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, but what, what, one of the things, one of the consequences of this was that it was really a, a turning point for our local church. Because, you know, it's very easy to talk about holiness and talking about talk about covenant theology broadly. But when you all of a sudden apply it in a very graphic way like this, not out of desire, not out of mere whim, but because the circumstances were foist upon you, then um, people come to see what a sober view of Christianity is. And that's why I use the word Puritanism in the title, a, a, title, a crisis of Puritanism, sin, and Baptists, because, and we're studying this in our church history class now about Puritanism, and one of the beauties of Puritanism is that they really believe what they said and that this caused divisions in the society, and it caused persecutions because they disagreed with the king, and the king 
even killed people over it, over the disagreements that they had. But they were really significant. There's a, there's a form of Protestantism that just kind of glides over every obstacle and every problem and every, uh, every obstruction as if it were not really there. But if we really believe the scriptures, then sometimes there will be these places that are somewhat rough. And we, all, we ought to go into them always with a, a spirit of indulgence and trying to get, get around them, trying to retain the oneness of the church of Christ. But over really big things, we cannot mince our words or pretend that, that important things are not important things. And so... <clears throat> um, we, we come to the outline of the sermon. Um, first, I said God, God often works out coincidences or crises of time, place, and theme to arrest our attention. The gem of Puritanism is that it doesn't run from these coincidences, but faces and learns great lessons from them. And uh, I know um, many of the blessings that still remain with that first church of mine out in western Pennsylvania, many of the blessings that still remain there are from this incident, and from my willingness to deal with it as kindly as I could, but nonetheless also faced it face to face. And so um, I came to this this crisis or coincidence of text and time, as I say here in the outline, this this last passage in um, in the first first book of Kings, and uh, I think it applies to to us in our day. Often, when I use the term covenant theology, I often I, I see the the um, the beauties of the connectionalism of covenant theology, Co- because covenant theology is not just an individualistic theology. It, it doesn't just have to do with you and I. It, covenant theology sees the connections between us and everything else. Like um, we have two great covenant heads: Adam's sin, and Adam's sin, we all fell. In Jesus' righteousness, we all were raised up. We have two great covenant heads, and their acts and their works had major effects upon everyone else. There there were people in Israel who were slain by God's wrath because of the covenant connection. They did not necessarily do what what might be uh, condemned, most obviously by God, but they were part of the group that did. One of the worries that I have today as an American is that I am part of the covenant community of America. And it's, it's a, if America is murdering its children, if they're, if they're aborting the children, I have a covenant connection with that that I don't want. And I must do everything in my power to escape from the wrath of God for that, or else the wrath of God that is destined for the group will follow upon me as an individual. This is just simple covenant theology, but it's not so popular today. Not so many people get it. When they turn to the Bible, they will often find fault with God over this kind of thing because uh, God does not bless them according to the indi- their individual lives, and, and he'll sometimes work, he'll curse them in terms of the general covenant curse that falls upon uh, the, the group of people. And so <clears throat> that is, uh, that is uh, a problem. Uh, not really, if you understand the Bible, but uh, and and we've seen here at covering Second Kings, where after the time where Israel was divided between the north and the south, God's hand was much more with Judah, and we can see that with Jehoshaphat here and with Ahab. 
If you turn back to, um, just to take one quick look at that, I think it's 1 Kings 16. Um, well, it's 15 and 16. In verse 9, it speaks of Asa reigning in Judah. Now, Asa was basically a good king, and he reigned for a long time. Uh, 41 years he reigned. Then, after dealing with Asa in verse 9, there's a, there's a, a, a consequence, there's a, a sequence of rulers that, that reigned in Israel after Jeroboam, Jeroboam, who was a bad king, who first of all divided the nation, and through the, through the politics of the nation, through the civil part of the transaction, then the religion of Israel was contaminated and corrupted. It was a very evil thing. And so in verse 25, Nadab became king first. He reigned for a short time. Then Basha reigned in verse 33. <coughs> and then verse 8 of the next chapter, uh, Elah reigned in Israel. And then uh, in verse 21, the father of Ahab, Amri, reigned in Israel. Now all of these people are giving fairly short shrift because they weren't of the covenant. Because they did evil before the face of the Lord. And then Amri, Amri, uh, Amri insinuated a civil war on the civil war. The, 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 Israel was already divided in two. Under Amri, the, the, the northern ten tribes went to divide again. That's the way it is when we move away from the Lord, just like America is moving today. When we move away from the Lord, the divisions become multiplied over and over and over again because your common denominator is taken away. People today are wondering, are, are, you hear them talked about all the time, well, we just can't, how can we find a unity in again in America? Well, why can't people just get along together? Well, if they loved God, they would, or it would be a lot more close than it is right now. But they, they love their diversity. They love their poly, which is a euphemism for polytheism. When you have philosophical, religious diversity, it reduces to polytheism. And so when you have polytheism, then people, different tribes of people are running after their own gods. And so we have the women today, we have uh, racial divisions, everybody's running after their own god. And then they come together and say, oh, well, say, wow, can't we just all get along? Can't we all uh, love each other? Well, you can't. Christ and Antichrist cannot love each other, people. And that's the big problem of the American political situation. And so <clears throat> that, was, that was the problem that came to Israel and, uh, at this time. And, uh, and they began to really uh, have troubles together, uh, trying, to, trying to piece this thing together. Now, Jehoshaphat in Judah, because of Jehoshaphat's insight as a king, also somewhat as a churchman or as a, a theologian, but he was king first. And this is the relationship that we don't like. Modern pietism just totally writes this off. They do not see the relationship between the civil rule and the, and the um, church rule. The Westminster Confession did. It's, in, it's included in the, in the Westminster Divines and their, their, um, their thinking, but not so much today. And so... Um, at this time, um, Jehoshaphat maintained the blessing in Judah despite the civil war that had taken place, despite this division, Jehoshaphat worked for blessing based upon Jehovah worship, even as Ahab worked, uh, 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 obtained curse because of his Baal worship. 
And uh, this is an amazing thing, really, the, uh, when you think about it. Um, the, if you look at Ahab's life, he was the successor of Omri, 1 Kings 15.31. He reigned from 875 B.C., roughly, in the 38th year of Asa. His, his first great and important thing was he chose a wife for himself. <laughs> Who did he choose? He chose Jezebel. Now, the bell part of Jezebel is a, um, a condescension to Baal, the word Baal, Jezebel. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was the king of Sidon, and Sidon was a Baal-worshipping city. And so when Ahab went to marry, he chose this woman who was a very significant player in the Baal worship of her country. And uh, uh, so uh, uh, he, became, he became a Baal worshiper himself, it says in 1 Kings 16, 30-33. And then he, then he began to insinuate that on Israel and force Israel to become Baal worshipers. And that was revolutionary because Israel had co covenanted to be in, in covenant with the Jehovah God of Israel. It was radical. It was revolutionary. It was, it was a blood guilty to change loyalties like that. And so when uh, in, uh, violence almost always follows infidelity. And so then Ahab began to persecute the righteous and persecute uh, those that refused to go along with his Baal worship. And he ended up, uh, he, uh, you know, in uh, Jeroboam brought along or introduced two golden calves <coughs> into Israel's worship, which was against the second commandment. Uh, but he was nominalistically, that is a name only, he was, he was nominalistically a Jehovah worshiper because both, both of these stupid calves were called Jehovah. And the two of them to begin with, you know, as if your God could be divided. But that he was still nominalistically, or name only, uh, Jehovah worship. But Ahab and Jezebel switched gods. You think about this. The whole purpose of Israel was to take over the whole world for the, for the Lord. And here, one of the parties that is supposed to be instrumental in this great task, the same task that our Lord Jesus Christ gave us, and has, and promotes today, one of the two great are uh, uh, one of the great uh, uh, governors of this religion uh, switched to Baal worship, and um, that's what that's what brought about uh, well that and the, the 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 zenith of his cruelty and hatred was in his killing Naboth for his vineyard out of this design for Baal worship, and after that uh, God brought a plague or a drought upon Israel three and a half years basically three and a half years of drought where God did not bring rain and where the people were suffering because they were had become Baal worshippers and then at the end of that time he raised up Elijah and that's when this incident this this bloody incident on Mount Carmel comes because Elijah comes to the fore and prophesies and challenges the Baal worshippers to this contest on Mount Carmel if God is God, if your God is God, then you, he will light your fires. If, if uh, your sacrifices, if our God is God, if my God is God, uh, he will light 
his fires. And so the Baal worshippers, they made the fire, you know, they put up the stuff. They got the animals, the sacrifice, and they danced, and they cut themselves, and they got all, all kind of like a modern charismatic service where you try to work up the Holy Spirit by the way you do your thing, you know? And But nothing happened. The heavens were quiet. Nothing fell upon the their fires. And then you know the story of Elijah. Elijah says, okay, here's mine. He takes, he starts by pouring all kinds of water, pail after pail after pail of water upon the sacrifices. So that humanly speaking, there's no there's gonna be no causation or no possibility causation for the fires there. But then he calls down the fire of the Lord. And the Lord smote down those altars. Even the rocks, it says, were kind of obliterated. Because there's only one God in the end. We can preach about him one day, but in the day of the Lord, he will show his strength in another way. And it will be real. So that what we said before, but was not unconfirmed by action, is suddenly confirmed by action. And so it came to pass. And, uh, and then Elijah arrested the Baal worshippers and the Asherah worshippers, both false pagan gods. He arrested them. And, and what's amazing is you see, these are the very people that a moment before were voting for this stuff, voting for the Baal worship. But under Elisha, they could, just like Jesus, when he came, I mean, he walked through the crowds and people had a sense of his divine spirit that was unmistakable from which they shrunk back and were afraid. And so when Elisha came forward, he came forward in the power of God. And the people suddenly switched and they captured all of these priests and they beheaded them and killed, killed them. And it was a great, uh, it was a great blessing on Israel. People say today, oh, you, you know, this goes back to all kinds of theory about capital punishment and these kinds of things. Well, at the end of time, brothers and sisters, there's going to be capital punishment for everybody who does not follow the Lord. And there's going to be no escape in it, just like Noah's Ark in the days of of that flood, there's going to be no escaping it. And so <clears throat> um, uh, that's what we're faced with here in this in this text about uh, uh, in the last chapter, you know, as I said, it talks about Jehoshaphat as one covenant, one covenant theory, one covenant theology, and then Ahab and Ahaziah. And, uh, and it says that both of these systems led to Problems. I mean, the one, the one problem, they both led to consequences, but the one led to consequences that were really problematic. And the, right before our passage today, it says now, uh, in verse 30, 38, then someone washed the chariot, Ahab's chariot, and the pool at Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of uh, Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house that he built, and all the cities that he built. See, Ahab was not a. Ahab was a good politician. He understood how to get things done, but he was also a corrupt politician, who was noxious in the in the nostrils of God. Um, and so Ahab rested with his fathers, and uh, and then Ahaziah, his son, began to reign. You notice in the passage we read, Ahaziah only reigned two more years. And what's ironic is that, uh, that uh, Ahab died in the exact same place. That was with the prophecy, if you go back. He, he died and the, the dogs licked up his blood in the very same place that he had killed Naboth. He had executed Naboth by a court. 
Human courts, Psalm 83 says, human courts are not the end of these things. God will judge human courts by his rules of righteousness, not just the righteousness conjured up by a plurality of voters, men in this world. And so uh, these two systems have two consequences, two different consequences. It behooves all of us to love what is good. And the best thing that is good is Jesus Christ as he has manifested himself in the flesh. He is the very Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. His witness, his testimony is so pure to us. How can men today stand back from him? How can they they shrink back? How can they suggest that they don't need him? The, The Father of glory, the creator of the universe, sends his only begotten Son as a cure for the human race, and we stand back and we say, I don't need it, God. Is there any blasphemy worse than that? No. And so, so this is the, 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 what you see here in this text is basic covenant theology. Now, in terms of the outline, number two, I won't deal with this, they're very long, but uh, the, the, the crisis for us today is that, and the, the crisis for my family is that we, we, need, to, we need to find some way uh, to, uh, we have two kids that like each other, both good kids, um, but uh, they represent two theological systems. And, you know, how can, how can Kaya, uh, if she wants to get more serious with this boy, how can she do it with the idea that their children, will, they'll, they'll, their children she'll be introducing her children into a confusion where the, ch- the children are not members of the church. They, they come along with the parents to church, but they're not considered members of the church. They're, they're, they're uh, sort of in an in-between land and, and uh, they're not really they're not really part of the church until they're baptized some, someday. But uh, for two thousand years and more, God considered children to be part of the church. It's just it's just just the way it is. That was that that was only introduced in the seventeen hundreds, really, by the, the, in terms of Baptist theology. Where the, and the the problem is that um, Presbyterians have their problem with exhorting their children who are covenant children to be converted, to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are a rock of offense many times to, to Baptist type of people because they see so many Presbyterian churches that are loaded with people that, that are not people of faith. So they say, well, you know, we have every justification for insisting on adult profession of faith and adult baptism at, at the same time. That's, that's for another day. All I'm saying is, for thousands and thousands of years, uh, this was not the this was not the case, and uh, it, it's a. Uh, and I suppose I know that they have an apology for that, but uh, to me, it's never been persuasive, and uh, and so in our in our in my family's case, you know, we've got a, a problem because we've got two kids that like each other, but what will become of it, you know, and. Uh, the two systems, one, one, I, in my, in my belief, one system is superior to the other, and you can't have. It's not just issues of baptism, although in that in that case, uh, uh, that is a very significant situation. But uh, you can't in all of this, in all of our thinking, we we have to choose. We have to for, if there are two systems, we have to acknowledge that there are two systems. Then we have to compare them. 
We have to see which is the best, which is the superior position. And if we find the superior position, then we have to choose it and we have to act on it. And to do otherwise is uh, can be it's tragic intellectually, but it's all it also works out tragically uh, in real life many times. And so. <clears throat> Um, I can I can raise up all kinds of questions re regarding uh, bat the baptism of a of a kid that's um, in his late teen years or something like that. Um, that's that's really not for today. But the question the, the thing is that this is a that there are two different systems and that there there are connections between them. There's two covenant theologies here. Uh, one includes children of faith, the other doesn't. And uh, we'll take, I'll take responsibility for what the Presbyterians are doing wrong, uh, but I think the Baptists need to take responsibility for what they're doing wrong too. There's only one way. The Bible is, is only one way. Uh, for God's own reasons, he didn't make it crystal clear in his word uh, in such a way like he did the Ten Commandments. And yet even there, he made that crystal clear, but we're still fighting about that. So... Uh, God left the door open, I guess, for some disagreement about this, and we acknowledge that. But at the same time, we see our responsibility being to, to find the way of the Lord and to follow it as, as closely as we can. And I just ha I have no zeal to see that confusion introduced into my own family through children that my, that my grand grandchildren marry. I've got two more granddaughters up in Michigan, and they're facing the same kind of thing. And uh, I just, as uh, for me and my house, we've got, a, uh, we've got a tile in our bathroom downstairs. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. And um, uh, so I think it's, 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 a very, it's very interesting that this, that this crisis of, of conflicting possibilities has afflicted my house before it's afflicted your house. And in that sense, I give God, I give God praise. You know, he's, he's asked me to stand up and say, you know, these are problems my house is facing. But I pray that your house, that you will consider these things for you and your children and just other choices that you make in life. There's only one way. First of all, you must choose Jesus Christ. There's no other alternative. You must choose Jesus Christ, and then you must choose his systems of thought. Um, Billy's great, a great representative here is someone who has come to see the, the beauties of covenant theology in many ways. And uh, so I really, I really, he's really been a help, I think, for, for the rest of us to confirm on us the things that we already said we believe, but that, you know, to, to show us that these things are uh, really important and that we need to be as clear as possible. And I, I, I really want you to pray for, uh, because Kai is going to hear the sermon and I don't want to hurt my granddaughter, but I want, I want her to walk in the light also. So would you please pray for us, pray for my house, that we would have clarity and not obscurity. And I pray that Nicholas someday would come to see the superiority of, of, of uh, Calvinism and Presbyterian theology over that in which he was uh, evidently reared. I don't know that much about his, his background, but 
I know broadly this is the, the context of it. But let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that these things sometimes do come about. I was set to preach on this text from months ago, and I didn't even know what it was about <laughs> in terms of its application until last night. But I pray that you bless us through it. And I pray that you bless the people of our church. I pray that you bless those that are not here today that will no doubt listen to it again and come to hear it. And I pray that you bless us as we go forward, that we, we want blessings for America, blessings for our churches. And we can't be blessed as long as we choose false theories and, uh, and systems of theology. Bless us, O Lord, that we might rejoice in Christ and all of his thought. We know that according to 2, Corinthians, through 2 Timothy 3.16, that all things necessary are revealed to us in the word and are all things necessary for, rebuke, for truth and rebuke and all, all of the choices that we make and all of the consequences. So we pray that in this church that we would be a Puritan church in this sense. Take, take you seriously and then abide in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.